Shalom. Shalom. How are you doing this wonderful evening? I'm doing great. Very excited about this half tour and excited to be on here with you to, to drosh about it. How are you? I am doing well in Baruch Hashem. So if everybody is ready, this is Shomerman and Chassis ready to drosh on the Haftarah Naso get you some. I will begin with our opening bracha for the Haftarah. Blessed are you, Adonai, our God, King of the universe, rock of all eternities, righteous in all generations, the trustworthy God who says and does, who speaks and fulfills, all of whose words are true and righteous. Blessed worthy are you, Adonai, our God, and trustworthy are your words. Sleeka, that is the closing blessing. How about we do the opening blessing? <laughs> The last shall be first, and the first shall the be last. The last shall be first. <laughs> wow. It's Yeah. <laughs> has chosen faithful prophets to speak words of truth. Blessed are you, Adonai, for the revelation of Torah, for your servant Moshe, and for your people, Israel, and for the prophets of truth and righteousness. B'Shem Yeshua HaMashiach. Amen. Amen. Come on. All right. <laughs> Take it away. All right. So we are in Parsha Naso, and the, the half Torah is in Judges 13. Yeah. And just touching on just a real quick link between the, the Parsha and half Torah. Uh, we can't keep it simple with as far as links today or this uh-huh. night. And essentially, it discusses the Nazir and the half Torah discusses Samson, the Nazarite. And so we're given an explicit, I guess, picture of um, a Nazarite. But there's some ways he's different. And Bizarre Hashem, we're actually going to get into that, how his Nazarite vow is different than uh, others, than the, the classic Nazarite vow, if you will. Okay. Where are we going? Uh, well, I figured we, uh, you know, keep with our tradition and run off some of the uh, the facts about our half Torah. Oh, get you some. We and gonna talk about it, Noach or uh, Shimshon? We could get into uh, Manoach and his wife if you like. Okay. Um, it's it's uh, since we're at, it's not like Jeremiah or Hoshea. And right. so it's not like an explicit name, you know, we're in the half, we're in uh, the half tour of judges. And right. so I figured we'd talk a little bit about the, the judge who is being born. Oh, in this let's do that. <laughs> All right. So, uh, Samson mother, his mother's name was Zlifonith, his sister Nashin. That's from Baba Batra 91A. Wow. And so I, I figure i bring that up because there's kind of this uh mystique there's there's kind of like this concealed nature with his mother's name and it's not really explicitly given right i was always wondering about that and so we'll just figure it out with kind of bring a little clarity from the talmud all right uh his fathers and mother showed him the vineyards of Timnya, which were sown with forbidden mixtures kelayim and told him my son just as their vineyards are sown with forbidden mixtures, 
so are their daughters. That's from Yushlami Sota 1-8. And so this, they were, the parents were also charged with bringing him up in a right manner. And uh, this gives an explicit example of how they encourage him to be in union with someone who shared the same values, who, who was founded in the Torah, as well as like they were. Right. Uh, another one from Bashit Rabbah, 9814. The patriarch Yaakov saw him prophetically and thought he would be the Mashiach, um. in whose days the redemption would come. Upon seeing that he would die, Yaakov said, Shall he too die for your salvation do along, Hashem? Wow. Wow. And there's this kind of no, connection wait, wait, with... Wait, wait, wait. Yes. Did you just say that the patriarch Yaakov saw Samson mm-hmm. and saw that he was like, he thought he was going to be the Mashiach. Yep. But then you said he also saw that he was going to die. Yes. <laughs> Seriously. So yes. was shown to be one who would die. I mean, I the think Mashiach was, the Mashiach was, yes. And uh Bizarre Shem through our, our our study night, we can kind of elucidate this this concept more Man. about the the concept of a dying Mashiach, the concept of um, uh, salvation in the beginning of salvation and how that comes in a progress not just all in one hit good night alright continue on alright um, and continuing on a uh, couple more facts says in regards to his fights with the Philistines he hid in the clefts of the rock in order to strike at Philistines passing on the roads Okay, that was a call. Really? Really? Yep. Can you source that one more time? (laughs) That's from Shekel Tov, Rashid 4917. (laughs) And so, you know, we've talked about Moshe being placed in the cleft of the rock. Yes. And being revealed the glory of Hashem. And we've we've elucidated on this was the pierced place of the rock. Oh. By Shaul and Basura mentions this idea of like the rock as Mashiach. Right. right. And so we see also in the crucifixion of Mashiach, like he is pierced. Yep. Right. And so there's this, there's this concept of uh, battling em- enemies, calling upon the mercy of Hashem. And there's this kind of connection between these two points. Did you just really do that? Oh my word. <laughs> Woo. Battling from the Pierce Place. Yes, battling from the Pierce Place. Man. And that'll be, be a elucidated, you know, drosh at some point. Bizarre Shem. And right. we also have from Yushlami Sota 1-8, the Philistines feared him for 20 years after his death, for they thought he was still alive. Oh. Corbin Hameda. Just as they had feared him for 20 years during his life. And we, we mentioned, yep, 20 years. Wow. So we mentioned earlier that uh, Yaakov prophetically saw through Ruach HaKodesh that he's like this Mashiach figure, but is he? But he's dead. He dies. And then you have this idea of that in 
the Philistines thought that he was still alive after his death. It's this concept of kind of like he's dead, but he, there's this aspect of him being alive or brought back to life, at least in the mind of the Philistines. But the right. concept remains there. Man, that's beautiful. <laughs> and so I, I remember you saying you wanted to look up a few more names. Yes. Uh, you could do that since we're here. All right. All right. Do you have anything to talk about while I'm looking for this? Well, I wanted to mention that Samson, his name, Be'erit, is Shimshon. Mm-hmm. And Shimshon, the root of that is Shemesh, which <laughs> sunshine or sunlight. Namely, the sunlight that is talked about that will be, that will rise with healing in its wings. Ooh. And so as I'm thinking about this, you know, in the wings, like the arms of Shimshon, he brought healing for the for the nation of Israel during his life, you know, namely healing from the Palestinians or the Philistines. Um, and it's just kind of like interesting that his name would be called Sunshine or Sunlight. And um Usually Shimshon would say that he's like sun shines, like a bunch of lights, you know? And so I was just kind of looking at that because that kind of struck me in a way that I've never really uh, seen before. And so I'm looking up, you know, just kind of the root Shemesh. And it's about a, uh, a window. And how we're looking at the window of Mashiach right here. Looking at how we're seeing this picture of one who will bring salvation, but one who will also die. And one who will seemingly have this uh, ambiguity to, is he really dead or is he still alive? So we can see that in the name of Shimshon, which I think is amazing. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. Brookshire. Man, I I found uh wow. I found I found a little bit about uh Manoah. All right. If you'd like to get into some of this. Uh so a little background says Manoah was from the tribe of Dan, his wife from Yehuda, Bamnabar Rabbah ten five. Mm. And there's also, since we just came back from uh, Shavuot. Come on. All right. So there's this link. And we, we read Ruth. It's traditional to read Ruth during Shavuot. Yeah. And there's a connection between Manoach and Boaz because they knew each other. What? Yep. So there's this background. There's this history between Boaz and uh, Manoach. Oh. says, Boaz made 120 celebrations. It's a party guy. <laughs> Two for each of his 60 children. To none of them did he invite Manoach. For he said, Manoach is sterile as a mule. How will he reciprocate? 
So how will, how, how will I come to his parties because he doesn't have children to celebrate these parties, essentially what he's saying. And it says, Boaz was concerned that Manoach would come to a celebration with gifts and he would not have the opportunity to reciprocate at Manoach's celebration. So that's from Marasha, um, Baba Bacho 91a. And so at first, you know, there's this kind of, it's this, what seems like a bad intention on Boaz's part, but he's, he's worried that he could not give back because Manoach would come in and give him gifts for all his children. And he knows that Manoach could not have children, so he couldn't give him gifts back. Man. And so the Manoach comments that it was actually based on good attention, good intentions. Rukashim. Yeah. Well, can I just uh, tag in on that real quick? Go for it. Because I was looking at Ruth uh, during Shavuot, and I was like, why does Ruth 3.1 use the word Manoach? Talking about finding something for Ruth. Namely, yeah. that being Boaz, but Boaz became the Manoach for Ruth. Which is interesting because Manoach is connected to the word Nuach, which means a resting place. And so looking up the word Nuach, I find that uh, the definition is first used in Bereshit 8 verse 4. Talking about Noach on the Teva coming to a resting place. And it says uh, in uh, verse four, it says, and rested the ark, but Kodesh Hashbi'i on the seventh and tenth day, on the 17th, basically. So we see that the Manoach connects to the resting place of the ark when it came to rest on the 17th day of the seventh month on the mountains. And we know that's when um, the waters began to recede and things like that. So what ends up happening is the, the completion of like a purification, so to speak. So wow. just thinking about that with Manoach and the Haftarah, and what all happens in, in Parashat Naso, this cleansing and this purification, uh, we even see it in the father of Shimshon that uh, there's this element of completion and a resting place for Hashem to be, begin the, the new life that comes from what preceded it. The idea of this new being like the foundation of the world and helping create new life. Right. That's amazing. Well, I apologize. I took up the first part of this segment to close it out, but uh, I would like to go ahead and transition into a part two. All right, Brooke Shem. All right, here we go. All right, and welcome back. This is part two of the Haftarah Get You Some. We were in the middle of talking about Manoach before we took our break. So... Let's continue. And I'd like to continue on with your point about Noah bringing forth new life uh, because some of the commentary speaks of Noah actually being termed this idea, this idea of rest, 
right? Mm-hmm. Because because he um, fashioned tools for plowing and working. Right. So it says, before Noah was born, they did not reap what they had sown. They would sow wheat and reap thorns and thistles. When Noah was born, the world returned to a state of natural functioning, and they reaped what had sown. Moreover, until Noah was born, they had labored by hand. When Noah was born, he fashioned tools for plowing and working. Tankuma Bershit 11. And wow. we just talked about this, this portion uh, relating him to Manoach. Manoach helped give birth to Shimshon, who helped eliminate the land of these thorns and thistles. Helped plow, not of vegetation or, or thorns per se, but of you know, spiritual thorns, the Philistines. Wow, that's beautiful. <laughs> and so that's, I love that you made that connection between Noach and Manoach. That's, that's a beautiful insight. Rukashem, Todah Rabbah. Rabbah And uh, just a couple more. Uh, Manoach, behold, says, behold, you are pregnant and will bear a son, talking to his wife, and Judges 13.5. It says, the seed was already inside her, and when the angel said, you shall conceive and bear a son, the womb absorbed that seed. Hence, the angel then said, you are pregnant. Wow. Rabbi Bar Rabbah 10.5. And so, so the seed was already inside her. And when the angel said, you shall conceive and bear a son, the word absorbed that seed. So, so, excuse me, the womb absorbed that seed. But it happened when the angel spoke that she would conceive and bear a son. Whoa. That the seed was absorbed. That's from Barmi Bar Rabbah 10.5. Man, that's intense right there because yeah. you have the, the father who is, so to speak, sterile, and Hashem's mm-hmm. like, don't worry, I got this. <laughs> yes. And it was also mentioned that she was, she was barren as well. And they, they kind of had these, these tips. There's like this huge dynamic that was going on between them. There's also this mention that there was, I wasn't going to bring this up, but since you, uh, you mentioned that kind of like sterile aspect. She was also barren, and this causes a lot of tension between them. It says that Bamdavar Rabbah 10 says, There was dissension between Manoach and his wife. He said to her, You have no children because you are barren. And she said to him, I have no children because you are sterile. Ooh. She merited to have an angel speak with her in order to make peace between her and her husband. And this is why the, the angel actually doesn't mention uh, he changes what he says to Manoch. He doesn't mention anything about his barren wife so that she wouldn't be shamed and there wouldn't be any more chillin' by issues. All right, okay, so all of a sudden, I feel like we're talking about Abraham and Sarah here. Yes, there's this, oh, wow, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I was thinking about the connection of divine birth, but I didn't think it in terms of... Wait, the, wait, what? Oh, yeah, yeah, well, I mean... I was thinking of the times of like, here's this miraculous birth, right? Um, but I didn't think of the concept of Abraham and Sarah having like this, this argument. Because oh he, did. he said, I'm old. And she says she's old and her husband is old. But he hides <laughs> that when he talks to Aaron. I mean, uh, Abraham, excuse me. Yes. yes. Oh, wow. That's cool. That's Wait, a, you that's just a, said you were connecting it to the divine birth. What? Yeah, we'll, we'll get into it. I mean... There's, there's a little bit in that when, uh, from Bamrabah Rabbah, it says, Behold, you are pregnant and bear a son. The seed was already inside her. And when the angel said, when the angel said, you shall conceive and bear a son, the womb absorbed that seed. 
Hence, the angel then said, you are pregnant. Uh, but we'll get more into that as we go on. Um, oh, You've got little- to bring that out. You know I'm not going to let us end recordings without you bringing that out. All right. Just know that, believe that, and trust that. <laughs> so, and then it comes into um, when the tabernacle stood in Shiloh, private altars were permitted, as it was written, Manoach took the kid and offered it up on the rock to Hashem. According to the opinion that during the shallow period, private altars were forbidden, Manoach was acting on a temporary ruling. That's from Sevakim 119b. Mm. So we see this idea of him sacrificing outside the, uh, the, the temple. Really? Uh, however, it was permitted to him. So there's this concept of it looks like something that's forbidden, but it was actually allowed and permissible at that time. Good night. All right. <laughs> oh, man. Those are always, when we go through these facts, I always have in my mind that it's going to be like this quick, like three minute snippet, and then we get into our discussion and elucidate it. And it's amazing. <laughs> man, that is to get you some of introductions right there. All right. I agree. Tag. <laughs> oh. We have. Um, we went through the names, we went through the length of the Parsha, and right. in honor of Shavuot, uh, we're going to, there's this, there's this beautiful connection between this half Torah and the giving of the Torah at Mount Sinai. All right. So our first verse in 13.1, it mentions the children of Israel continue to do what was evil in the eyes of Hashem, and Hashem delivered them into the hands of the Philistines. For 40 years. Ooh. And so this concept of 40 years is the very first verse of our half Torah um, in the chapter 13. And this connects, I believe, to these the 40 years Moshe was on the mountain receiving the Torah for B'nai Israel. Wow. And, and to elaborate on that point even further, where this half Torah ends and where this chapter ends and judges... It ends with this. It says, The spirit of Hashem began to resound in him in the camp of Dan between Zorah and Eshtaol. Uh, right. And commentary from the, um, the Art School Prophet series, it says, Ruach Hashem, the spirit of Hashem. What was this spirit? The question we're dying to know says, What was the spirit? It answers in speaking of the covenant of Torah that was sealed with Israel after the exodus from Egypt. God said, My spirit remains in your midst. Haggai 2 5. The spirit, the Torah, remains within every Jew, often dormant, but always ready to be reignited. That was the spirit that came to, force, uh, came to the fore after the birth of Samson. <laughs> And so this idea of this is the, the spirit of Hashem was the Torah. And so oh. this it, it begins with this 40-day period, and it ends with the spirit of Hashem, the Torah, being made, like, manifest within Samson. And yeah. so the Samson, it was like the giving of the Torah. Or the birth of the Messiah. Exactly. 
Exactly. Just like in nice. Yokanon 1. Right. Yokanon 1, uh, especially like 14 to 18. Oh, come on now. Let's get here. That's where we going. Okay, let's go. Yep, let's get there. (laughs) Says, oh, I went went too far. So, Yokana 1 talks about, in the beginning was the word. And in 14, it talks about the word was made flesh and dwelled in our midst. We have beheld his glory like the glory of a father's only son, great in kindness and truth. Yokanon testified about him, called out, saying, Look, this is he whom says the one coming after me, what me was before me because he was prior to me. And from Ooh. this his fulfillment or his fullness, excuse me, we all have received kindness upon kindness. For the Torah was given by Moshe and the kindness and truth came through Yeshua, the Mashiach. No one has ever seen God. The only son who is in the father's lap has made him known. Who is in the father's lap has made him known. Come on. Oh, here's this idea. Um, just pointing out, like, Devar is, is the word of God. is synonymous with Torah. And here you have this idea in Samson. From the beginning of it to the end of it, parallels this idea of this, like, this, this Torah that was manifest. Like, Torah is a manifestation of a man, like, within Samson. Ooh. Um, and it talks about the word, the Torah being made flesh in Yochanan. And it even talks about the idea of, it says, for the Torah was given by Moshe, and the kindness and truth came through Yeshua the Mashiach. And unfortunately, there have been people who who've said that this is saying, like, the Torah is done away with, or there's something better now. But really what it comes down to is, like, we've, we've talked about in the past, these sapphire tablets, that the Torah was always be meant to be made in our hearts. Right. And so what, what is it really when it says, and the kindness and truth came through Yeshua? The idea of kindness is the idea of giving and, and truth is like the fulfillment of the whole, the entirety, right? Like the words, like even in your name, Aleph, Mim, Ta, right? Oh, the, the middle and the end, it's an entirety. Right. And so see this with, with Samson, it says the, the Torah was like essentially in place in him. And a, the commentary says the Torah remains dormant in every Jew. So it's there. It's there as in our hearts. It just needs to be made brought to the forefront well if i could tag i just did the inner linear of that verse that talks about the word becoming flesh all right it it is the equivalent for the ivrit the hebrew of hayah which would be the the word for to be Mm. so to become so it shall be it is So if we're talking about the word of Hashem being like manifesting, like even the Hebrew equivalent, this word uh, in uh, Greek here, just to go Greek for half a second. All right. So it says, I come into being, I am born. I become about and I happen. So transitioning from one point or from one realm or from one condition to another. So, haya to become. Wow. Transitioning <clears throat> from one point to another. Yeah, get you some. 
<laughs> because Shim desired to have a divine place in the world below. Right. Come on. <laughs> anyway, um, so there's this section, now that we're on this Basura Connections idea, there's this section in Luke 24, uh, verse 44, Yeshua talking, he said, he said to them, these are the things that I spoke to you about while I was still with you. For every scripture about me will surely be fulfilled in the Torah of Moshe and the prophets and in the Tehillim. Ooh. And it talks about then he opened their hearts to understand the scriptures. And so, so wait, he specifically out. correlates the Torah, the prophets, and the Tehillim. Yes. <laughs> exactly. And so it's, it's this precedent for what we do when we're looking for Mashiach and the half Torah and the, and the Torah. It says, this is how he revealed his identity. He never said there's, there's someone coming after me who's going to tell you more about me and uh, all this other stuff. Or, no, you didn't. Come you know, on, man. There's nothing, anything wrong with necessarily Shaw's letters. There's just too much of an emphasis on them. But Ooh. how Mashiach identified himself, how he said, this is my identity. This is where you should search for me. It was within the Torah, the prophets, and the Tehillim get you and so so i believe we should follow in the footsteps of mashiach and and search for him truly search I, for him i agree i agree and, wholeheartedly with that oh man so I, that's where i'd like to like this is going to be kind of like a parallel half to our parallel session all right well that's great because we're going to end this segment and pick back up so hold your place and we'll be back all right all right all right, and we are back. Hasis, you ready? I'm ready. All right, continue on. All right, so uh, we've already made these connections to the Word becoming flesh and to Yeshua's precedent within uh, the Gospel of Luke of finding finding him in the Torah and the half Torah and the Tehillim. Yes. And, and so we also have the story of how in the Basura about the angel appearing to Miriam. Yes. And this this whole half Torah parallels that story just about this idea to idea. Right? From the from you know him saying I'm gonna grant you a child to coming to the woman first to the man finding about it afterwards to this idea of uh, this child is gonna be something special. And wow. so I, I just really like to kind of lay that concept down to really redeem the fact that um, this is not a Christian book. The Basura is not a Christian book by any means. Mm. And the idea of um, these books is completely Jewish in concept. And it finds its precedent in essentially all the stories of what Yeshua said in, in the half Torah and the Tehillims and the Torah. Right. And so a little commentary on this, uh, talking about uh, the wife's state of, of barrenness. It said, if Manoah's wife was barren, then obviously she had not given birth. In order to underscore this miraculous, uh, the miraculous nature of Samson's uh, subsequent birth, this description of Manoah's wife is similar to that of the matriarchs 
most of whom were barren and struggled with infertility. Ooh. Like the matron's wife was granted a child in a supernatural manner. So there's another there's a concept, you know, all the matriarchs. This is a, a pattern within the Torah, within the, the half Torah. Um, yes. Of this idea, there is a child who comes about through supernatural means. Wow. Wow. I mean, it's all just like exploding in my head right now. It's just goodness. <laughs> and, but th- this is concept we, we mentioned earlier of this Parsha linking to uh, the, this half Torah. Uh, Parsha Nasa linked to this half Torah as far as uh, this Nazarite v- v- vow. But here we, we came across the idea that Shemshon, his, his idea his whole birth was miraculous. And so he's not just this Norman, normal Nazarite. There's something special about him. So what are some of the difference, differences that make him stand apart? And that's what we're going to get into. All right. Well, I'm going to go ahead and throw out there one of the, uh, the details that would make Shimshon miraculous as brought down by my Kala uh, that she mentions, you know, Shimshon could not have been a man of supremely high stature because, you know, it's one thing if a guy is like super buff and like really tall, people expect him to be strong and ready to throw down. But it's like, as you read the account of Shimshon, he doesn't seem to give off that, that uh, vibe to everyone. He doesn't seem to give off that appearance of like, don't mess with me or I'll break you kind of thing. So, you know, I I don't know if there's anything on that, but I just thought it was a, a brilliant point that's brought out because it's like one of those unsuspecting things, you know, like David versus Goliath when he right. comes out. It's just like, oh, you're going to send this runt out here? It's <laughs> like, oh, he's going to take you down. Just watch out. So kind of like, you know, there's nothing of his appearance that will be drawn to him kind of deal. And, yes. and that's awesome oh. brought this up because there actually is a precedent for that in oh. the Talmud. Oh, my word. So this is the Mahasha to Sanhedrin 105a. Uh, and, and so to 10a says, Shimshon was lame in both legs, but no. nevertheless was able to act mightily against the Philistines. <laughs> hey, that was uncalled for, man. That was uncalled for. Oh. I don't know. Maybe there is something to it. Maybe he was more kind of small in stature. I, I, I don't know. Um, it does say he was lame in both legs, but he had the ability to be of being mighty. And so wow. I think that's that was just it's kind of an interesting concept that you brought up there. Man. Okay. <laughs> so on him being different and the Nazarite in several ways, it says, Shemshon became a Nazarite by divine decree. Oh, he was ordained by God to be a Nazarite from the moment of his conception, Ooh. even before his body and limbs were formed. He never took a vow or accepted it upon himself, nor did he have the option of rejecting it or having it annulled. Samson's status as a Nazarite was an intrinsic part of his being. Oh, my word. I was going to say, normally only an adult can become a Nazarite. Oh. And, and 
was from the moment of, of birth, from the moment he was in his mother's womb. He was he had this divine mission that he was given. That sounds familiar. Yes, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like the whole Yeshua like talks about his uh you should call his name, this and Yep. Uh he would bring salvation to his people. Yes, yes. <laughs> and actually could you could you go there to that verse? I wanna if you don't mind. I don't mind at all. Uh, I know it's in Luke 2. Hang on. Okay. All right. We'll, we'll go with uh, Matthew one twenty one. I know it's in Luke, but I'm going to go with this because I found this first. Okay. So, Matthew one twenty one says she will give birth to a son. Uh, just like in our Haftarah, it also says because you will conceive and bear a son. So, I mean, even similar phrase there. And it says, and you are to give him the name Yeshua because he will save his people from their sins. Oh, my goodness. Wow. OK, so I'm looking at verse five. In the Haftarah, it says mm -hmm. that he will be a Nazarite from the womb. The next statement, he will begin to save Israel out of the hands of the Philistines. <laughs> but he's yes. born to save. Yes. Oh, my. Man. Hang on. And you're in Matthew, Matthew what? Matthew 121. 121. And I want to look at something here. Um so yeah right here so you you mentioned and you will call his name emmanuel and in the delicious gospels it says shamo emmanuel and so this is important that it put his it put the word name before his uh the name he was given mm. because commentary on on uh Manoach, it talks about his greatness was giving good deeds, and uh, it, it mentions this. Madame Loas goes on to talk about this idea of righteous people and wicked people. And the indication of Manoach's righteousness is in the expression, his name was Manoach. It says that is the way the righteous are introduced. Ooh. Of the wicked, it says Nabal was his name. Goliath was his name. The Bible speaks of other righteous people with the same sentence structure used with Manoach. His name was Elkanah. His name was Mordecai. The righteous strive to earn a good name. They put their good deeds before the pleasures of their bodies. The word name, therefore, precedes their own personal names. But the wicked are only concerned about physical pleasures, so their personal names come first. And so for all, all these, all these, all this Lashon Harah that's spoken about Yeshua that says that he was a wicked person or they compare him to things within the Talmud that says that he was like this Rasha who led people to idolatry, which is uh, completely false. That was completely different time errors. So it could not possibly him. But right here in the wording, the structure of um, his birth, it precedes the, his name, the name Shmo precedes his name like Emmanuel 
to teach us that he was a righteous one, like like Mordecai, like uh, Manoah. Good. And several others. Okay, so a tag, and I agree. And I would like to add that I've found the verse in Luke, and it's chapter 1, verse 32, and we learn a little bit more about his mission. And it says, he will be great. He will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over Yaakov's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Amen. That is, uh, wow. And a powerful, powerful scripture. And also in the Delitz Gospels, it, it says, Et Shemo Yeshua. So again, it, that Shmo, Shem, the name, uh, Shem Mim actually precedes his, his name. Again, indicating that he is like, like the people in the, the Torah and the half Torah and Tilim, that he was a righteous person. Man. Oh, one more tag, please. Go for it. It's like the more we keep learning about Yeshua as he is commented on in Jewish literature, namely like different portions of the Talmud, it's it's almost as if every time you read something about him, you have to read the complete opposite when it comes to something that's slanderous or Lashon Hara. Right. I mean, it's like, it's almost like it's a secret or, or something to where you got to know, take this and like completely 180 and there it is. Mm-hmm. So anyway, secret's out. Yeah, <laughs> I agree. <laughs> but like, like I said, uh, even in uh, the Steinsaltz commentary to the sections where it's mentioned Yeshu and the English translates Jesus. Um, so completely different name. He, he comments that it's completely different time periods. Ooh. And so, and he, he verbatim says that there's, there's no way this can be the same person. Oh, um, no, so, I didn't. <laughs> yes, I did. I could, I could read it. If we want to read it from there, we can. Oh, dude, um, please, please take the time. This is important. This is, this is completely impromptu. So hopefully, because Rosh will have time to get into everything, but I think this is important concept for everybody. This is really because there are a lot of people that persist on calling him JC. They're uncomfortable with calling him Yeshua. I went through that. and But you you just have to let it go and, and grab a hold of his actual name. I mean, we don't want to be called by the wrong name. So why would he? Exactly. So All right. Time to get here real quick. All right. When while you're doing that, uh, what's the importance of name? Because we have an Aleph Tav Shem before Yeshua, and I did the Gematria of Shem, and it's three hundred and forty. Three hundred and forty is the equivalent to Notzer. 
or Netzer, which will be the branch or the guardian. And it's also equivalent to Sefer, Ooh. like a book or a scroll. Oh. <laughs> and like one more, it's equivalent to Beshalach, like to be sent out. Like Parsha Beshalach, when the only way the children of Israel could be sent out of Mitzrayim successfully was with the bones of Yosef. Amen. All right, how you doing over there? We're close to our 15 minute here. Okay, I got it. I'm just going to get multiple sources for it. All right. Well, we'll be back after this and I'll give you time to let you catch up when we start up again. All right. All right, Shalom, and we are back. Shalom. All right. How you doing over there? You ready? Yeah. Yeah, I'm ready here. Well, I'm going to step back and you just let it fly. Okay. So, Stein Salts is one of... Oh, uh, okay. We're still on, right? We're still on. Okay, great. I thought I accidentally clicked something. Don't be clicking. <laughs> All right. So Stein Saltz is one of the, the greatest uh, Talmudic scholars of our time. And uh, he, he wrote, uh, he wrote a commentary on the Talmud. Mm. And unlike, unlike Art Scroll, his, his commentary is not, it doesn't censor certain things out there about like uh, Jesus, right? And all this, all this kind of stuff. Snap. And so on this, we're talking about, it's in Sota 47a. And let me kind of get here for the, the context. Yeah, I'm gonna go to Soda 47 Day too. That's a good idea. So it says the Gemara returns. The Gemara returns to the instant in which Yehoshua ben Paracha turned away Jesus the Nazarene. Mm. What is this incident? When King Yehanai was killing the sages, Shimon ben Shatach was hidden by his sister, Yehanai's wife, while Rabbi Yehoshua ben Paracha went and fled to Alexandria of Egypt. When peace was made between Yana and the sages, Shimon ben Shatak sent him the following letter. From myself, Jerusalem, the holy city, you, Alexandria of Egypt. My sister, my husband dwells within you, and I am sitting desolate. Rabbi Yehoshua ben Paracha said, I can learn from it that there is peace and I can return. When he came back to Eretz Israel, Rabbi Yehoshua arrived at a certain inn. The innkeeper stood before him, honoring him considerably. And over all, they accorded him great honor. 
Rabbi Yehoshua ben Paracha then sat and was praising them by saying, How beautiful is this inn? Jesus the Nazarene, one of his students, said to him, My teacher, but the eyes of the innkeeper's wife are narrow. Taratut. Uh, Rabbi Yehoshua ben Paracha said to him, Wicked one, is this what you are engaged in, gazing at women? He brought out 400 shoftot and excommunicated him. Every day Jesus would come before him, but he would not accept. Uh, he would not accept his wish to return. And it goes into talking about, uh, for the master said that Jesus, the, well, it's, I'll continue on here. One day, Rabbi Yehoshua ben Pracha was reciting Shema when Jesus came before him. He intended to accept him on this occasion, so he signaled to him with his hand to wait. Jesus thought that he was rejecting him entirely. He therefore went and stood up a brick and worshipped it as an idol. Rabbi Yehoshua ben Pracha said to him, Return from your sins. Jesus said to him, This is the tradition that I received from you. Anyone who sins and causes the masses to sin is not given the opportunity to repent. The Gemara explains how he caused the masses to sin, for the master said Jesus the Nazarene performed sorcery, and he incited the masses and subverted the masses and caused the Jewish people to sin. Okay, first of all, that doesn't sound like Yeshua at all. Like, he's coming to someone to be accepted and staring at women and all this kind of stuff. So, that character. Right. Completely goes against what he taught, which is anyone who even looks at a woman has committed adultery in his heart mm. in Matthew 5. Looks at but her salt, I'm sorry? Uh, the, the key word being lustfully. Yes, lustfully. Which in order to know about the setting of her eyes, that's enough time to get a little you had to be. <laughs> yeah, you had to be looking pretty hard. Got to work on that one. <laughs> <laughs> and it says... His commentary on Yeshu Hanatsri, Jesus the Nazarene, says, Many scholars, first and foremost, several of the Tosfist, have pointed out that Rabbi Yehoshua ben Paracha and Yenaya live at the latest around the year 76 BCE. This means that it is impossible that the Jesus referred to in the story was the founder of, and he used the term Christianity, though we know he didn't actually right. found a new religion right but it goes on it says he must have been a different person with the same name it may be that the other Talmudic references to jesus are to this person or it may be some of the references of the founded christianity and i've i've went through uh pretty much all the all the verses and the tractates of where it talks about Jesus the Nazarene, where it quotes that. I knew and, you were waiting for some reason. That's a whole lot of sources, bro. <laughs> yeah. And I, I, I thought I had a marked, but this is the only one that I had uh, bookmarked. And so I was kind of searching through others. But okay, uh, every time it referred to him something neg negative, like him boil and like excrement, all this kind of stuff that you might have heard on yep. uh, www.antisemitics.com or ihatetommy.com. Yeah, a bunch um, of Google that's, jockeys. All that's fake. Uh, so one of the greatest Talmudic scholars of our day um, brings back to historical evidence that they lived in completely different time periods and he was a completely different person. Yeah. Every reference it has to him in a negative light is commentary by Steinsaltz that it is not him. Um, only, only way I disagree with it is he, he still is under the impression that uh, 
Yeshua was a founder of Christianity, which we all know is, is completely false. No. But the point remains that it's not the same person um, in the Talmud. Well, Baruch Hashem, Toda for clearing the name and making sure we don't call him JC because we would be referring to someone who lived at a different time period who was actually a sorcerer. Yes, and that is definitely not the Mashiach. That's a don't get you some. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so swerving back over. Swerve. <laughs> um, <laughs> so this idea of Samson being of divine decree. Um, why was he under this strong Nazarite decree? Going back to Samson. Why? And there's different commentary on it. One is that he was supposed to be different from the Philistines, um, completely set apart, um, as different, Madame Lois puts, as, to make him as different as possible from the Philistines, who were selfish, hedonistic people that were spent pursuing pleasures of the flesh. Mm. And also... Well, that's interesting because if you read his account, he was pretty much a hedonist. <laughs> yeah. Huh. Um, but we're go- just looking at the overall arching picture of it. Um, it goes in talking about uh, another, another aspect of why he was, uh, this strictness was decreed upon him says he will begin to save the Jews from the hands of the Philistines, right? The verse that you brought up earlier. Yep. It says, but as the verse indicates with the words, and he will begin, Samson's fight against the Philistines did not result in a complete defeat of the Philistines. It was merely the beginning of the Jews' salvation from the Philistines. The final defeat of the Philistines came when King David before he was king, killed the Philistine giant Goliath, delivering the Jews from the oppressive Philistine regime uh, forever. Okay. You know what you just said, right? Yes. Unless you glean something uh, from a different perspective, which is possible. Uh, I'm talking about the the Mashiach that comes first, and then the Mashiach yep. comes. Yeah. That's what I'm yes. talking about. All right. Lay, lay it down what you got. <laughs> Dude, okay, so you just said that he was the beginning. He didn't completely defeat the Philistines. Mm-hmm. That didn't come until David. So, yeah. like, Mashiach ben Yosef, Yeshua HaMashiach, who was conceptually, supernaturally born, comes. He doesn't completely wipe out death. He will ultimately cast it and all of our enemies with his return. Up until then, we have this victory, but it's the beginning of that victory. It's not the completion of it. And so we see with the life of Shimshon that it's the beginning of what will ultimately be completed with the coming of King David. Yes. That's what you just said. Like, yes, and so it's the concept of uh, you, Mashiach ben Yosef coming first, Mashiach ben David coming coming later, and I would like to completely 
knock out the idea um, that is brought about by a lot of like anti-missionaries and is the concept that Yeshua cannot be the Mashiach because he didn't fulfill the prophecies. Oh, so that's what we just essentially talked about right here. Um, but if I may have the book of our heritage Ooh. and it talks about this idea of salvation being a process. What were you doing with that book over there? Uh, you know, just something about our heritage. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, um, and we, we mentioned earlier that uh, this whole birth of Samson, it was like kind of like the, the bringing down of the, the Torah from Sinai. Right. And, and right before the giving of the Torah is ER. Um, um, uh, excuse me. Let's scratch that. Um, but let's go right here and quote from this book talking about this. It's it's ta- commenting on um, coming back in the fifth of the yard. There is this. There's coming back to Eretz Israel. Whoa! So this is the this is the idea in the year five seven zero eight, the fifth of a yard. There arose men of the seed of Yaakov, and they split, stood up on the soil of the Holy Land and declared. This land upon which we dwell and cling to with all our might belong to us and to us alone and our children afterwards forever. And so he's commenting on this, this return, this great return to the land. And it says there's different perspectives on this. And it says how, and there's kind of like this, um, this negative way to look at it, which is kind of how they view Yeshua now, like he didn't fulfill everything. It says, how can it, he quotes, he says, how, how can it be, they asked, that one, that only one-seventh of our nation has come to re-inherit the promised land? How can unobservant Jews be the leaders of the nation? How can this, how can this be even the beginning of redemption? Wow. How can even the beginning of redemption, right? Because there's this idea of it doesn't look perfect. It has this appearance of evil, kind of like, Manoach, who went to make a sacrifice outside the temple, but yet we, we our sages, Chazal has said that um, that was a divine decree at the moment. It was a temporary ruling that allowed him to make that decree. Man. But from the outside looking in, he was a sinner. He made a sacrifice outside the temple. Right? And so here's this concept of it, it doesn't always look perfect. It has this, this concealment of of uh, evil and an- anti to be something opposed to the Torah, to oppose to the Shem. Uh, mm-hmm. Kind of again, Yaakov clothed in the garments of Esau. Yep. Seen but, that before. <laughs> yes. <laughs> he comments, how can we then boast about being redeemed? Um, talking about, shall we utilize this day, the fifth yard, to praise the Lord for what came to pass and to pray for his continued benevolence in the future? Mm. He ends up talking about this idea of redemption. It says, talking about the unconvinced people and the convinced people that this was redemption. And it says, answer the convinced on the subject of redemption. We have never heard or we have never taught is hardly an argument. It is well known that in such manners, our sages chose not to be overly explicit. It may well be that we have been taught, but have not fully grasped the import of the teaching. Ooh. Can we assert the finality by what means and what manner God is to redeem us? 
And then furthermore, if we reflect on the saying of Chazal, we do find ample allusion to the recent events. It is said in the Midrash, redemption is compared to the aurora of the aurora of dawn, for oh. it is to come by the stages as does the dawn. It is to come by stages. It is to come by stages. I say what? It, it is to come by stages come as does the dawn. Like you mentioned earlier, the sun of righteousness will rise like the dawn. Rise. Oh, Shem Shon. Oh, get out of here. Like the sun. As its onset, darkness prevails, but as it advances, it grows brighter and stronger until all is flooded by daylight. We <laughs> therefore have ground to say that what we have recently experienced is the onset of redemption, whose next and brighter stages are sure to follow. In any event, since the aurora of dawn, is already here one should be glad and thankful man okay the part that he can't be the mashiach because um he hasn't fulfilled everything well that's how it works says (laughs) tell him by stages as does the dawn and so we have this rising sun as as you pointed out uh shimshun it has this root of uh, like like sun right yes and so that's that's a huge concept that just needs to be pushed aside and truth needs to prevail. Like it says, Yeshua came and with, with kindness and with truth. Man. Okay, back to your corner. Take a water break. We'll be right back. <laughs> All right. Want another nice clean fight? Round <laughs> 15,002. Get him. All right. So again, we're we're kind of going through the story of of the of like the divine birth and and Yeshua's birth and comparing that, paralleling that to Shimshon's birth, right? And also it mentions that he was a holy child. Ooh. So again, contrasting as uh, Manlo is contrasting Philistines and Shimshon says, uh. <laughs> says, the Philistines love to get drunk and boast about their exploits, how it must have annoyed them to see this wild Jew who absolutely rejected their way of life, yet could be every last one of them without even trying. I thought that was kind of funny. Nice. A little, little quirky. Right. Uh, so just as the Philistines hated Shimshon for his abstinence, so too did Shimshon despise them. No doubt all the Jews looked with some contempt with the, upon the unbridled ways of the Philistines, but Shimshon they were particularly despicable, but to him, they were particularly despicable. He was raised as a holy child, even by comparison with his own people. To the other Jews, it was this and not his strength that was the most distinguishing characteristic. He too looked upon himself in that way. He was a man of God. He could never think of a Philistine and as his friend or his equal. And so this complete contrast between the ways of the Philistine and, and Shimshon's way, but Point out like he was a, a holy child, and it mentions Yeshua uh, teaching, right? Right, teaching in the temple, and namely how he grew in wisdom and stature. Yes, how he grew in wisdom and stature. Man, and, and it goes in talking about um, uh, 
Let's see. Oh, a second. Okay, here we go. Coming on the the idea of um, you have the angel spoke to Manoach's wife, but Sleek when up. you I'm sorry. So I have to. I have an emergency tag. Go for it. If it's emergency, nine one one. Hit it. Okay. Look, I, I did the interlinear on the verse for Yeshua growing, mm-hmm. and it's specifically in reference to strengthening. Oh. Uh... <laughs> look. Okay. I, I'm sorry. Like, I just got to read it. It's Go for it's it. the word cry. Kratayo, Kratayo, or Kratos is one of the other ways to say it. This is Greek. It's Greek to me. But anyway, the it's definition to, me. <laughs> to prevail by God's dominating strength, i.e., oh. his power prevails over opposition to attain mastery or the upper hand operates by Hashem. In working. Get you some. Wow. And <laughs> that I that idea um just talking about God bestowing strength on Shimshon talks about uh that he had an unusually strong desire and anger, and that's why God gave him these Nazarite vows to kind of control that. Wow. Um, and it says, What was his special task? We he will begin. It talks about uh it's Yahil, he'll begin. Says the old Israel from the begin with Shimshon. From that time on, the Jews would continue to struggle to throw off the yoke of the Philistines until, in the time of King David, they would finally succeed. Were they were they not the ones who had really begun salvation? Talking about these other judges, and it says the Philistines had again conquered the Jewish people. It was from this new oppression that Shimshon would begin to save them. Wow. And he talks about this word, this word begin, says another interpretation that he would begin his mission, but he would not complete it. It relates to Shimshon. Oh. It relates to Shimshon, not the entire process of salvation from the Philistines. And so he would begin, he would begin this process. Uh, and then... Others say it means to, like you said, to be strong. Uh, he would be granted extra strength in order to fight the Philistines. <laughs> and, you know, what did, what did Yeshua fight? The, Rabbi Shol talks about um, we war not against flesh and blood. And oh, so Yeshua come on, man. Spiritual forces, spiritual forces, eliminating the root. And it says, yet another interpretation. Uh, let's see, we'll... We'll skip that right there. We'll go on to 263, going back to uh, Manoach's wife, actually relaying a different message. And (laughs) it says, why did Manoach's wife not repeat the angel's message exactly? She She added the words to the day of his death because she wanted Manoach to understand that this was not a vow. So we do not have the power to annul it. Oh, wow. <laughs> All right, so there's that. Okay, I just got to say, Eishikayu. Yeah. 
I wish I had seen like Aiden Cotts, but I I just kind of felt that. Right. It takes a woman of valor to do something like that. Come on, man. She was she was following the words of our sages, who says that we should put a fence around the Torah. Oh, come on, man. Indeed. Also, she also purposely hid from him anything that had to do with Samson's strength and his mission as redeemer of the people. Good night. In the words, he will begin to save Israel from the hands of the Philistines. Since Samson's <laughs> strength was connected with his hair, she did not make mention of that either. Ooh. She was afraid that if the Philistines got wind of this, they would kill him before he had the chance to grow up. So mm. she did a secret even from her husband. And what do we see in Mashiach, Yeshua's birth? Yeah, Miriam ran away. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she she hid. Away. They, they <laughs> hid. They 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 flee from King Herod, who's trying to kill all the, the babies. Oh, right. man. She was afraid that the Philistines would kill him before he had a chance to grow up. And so you see this idea. And what happens? They, they go to Egypt. Yeah. Right? Yeah, like Moshe was concealed in Egypt, just like Yosef was concealed in Egypt. So was Yeshua. Oh my goodness! So here you, you don't necessarily have him going to Egypt, but you have this I say same idea of concealment. She concealed the message from her husband because she was hiding from him anything that had to do with his strength, right? Oh, and redeemer. She was hiding the fact that he was a redeemer. Whoa. And, have this concealed messiah you have this concealed light like the light that was hidden beneath the throne oh man <laughs> like messiah saying don't tell anybody about this yes he's yeah. always hiding he's like this this idea of concealment it's not the time it's not my time right i'm just beginning the process of salvation but i will come again and fulfill it get you some and so you have this idea of this holy child idea. You have this idea of the hidden redeemer um, evident throughout scripture. Okay. Can I do another quick tag real quick? Yes. Uh, Ephesians three sixteen, the same word for what happens with Mashiach being strengthened as he grew up is also used in this verse. And it's specifically the strengthening the strengthening of our emunah that comes from Hashem. It says, I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his Ruach, which we know is through the Torah. So you mean to tell me that the glorious unlimited resources of Hashem will strengthen us and it comes by his spirit, which is through the Torah. Yes. Just saying. So like, he's implanted oh, eternal life within us. That is the Torah. Ah, uh, <laughs> really? Really? Yeah. Oh. And so kind of swerving off Shimshon a little bit and Manoah, uh, there's this interesting, there's this interesting discussing, discussion, uh, discourse between Manoah and the angel. Ooh, that's true. Yes. And he says this in 13, 17, 18. Manoach said to the angel of God, and it says, El Melach Hashem. And he yeah, wrote, 
the same word used in the Akida, right? What's that? Malak Hashem. Malak Hashem. Oh wow. So we're What's talking that? about Memtet. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> yes. You want to elaborate on that point? Uh well, yes, I would love to because if you go to Bear Sheet 22, which that's where I'm about to go. All right. So we're gonna go to Bear Sheet 22. I'm gonna give you the exact verse over here. Uh Abraham is about to slay Yitzhak. But if you look in 22 verse 11, I quote Be'ivrit. Vayikra elav malak Adonai and called unto him the angel of Hashem. <laughs> so, same malak happening there as happening here. It's amazing. And so, this constant connection, and then uh, says, Manoach said to the angel of God, What is your name? that when your word comes to pass, we will honor you. The angel mm. of God said to him, why do you ask about my name? And there's different translations. Uh, Ma'am Lois says, it is unknowable. There's mm. others that says, um, uh, I go with the, the other commentary, it says, it is wonderful. Mm. And is this kind of, this kind of idea right here. So, that man Lewis has a commentary talking about Manoach uses a strange expression when asking the angel's name. He did not say Ma, uh, Ma, Shmecha, but oh, whoa, whoa, Shmecha. Okay. Gotta put my seat. What Woo. you got? Go ahead. I'm putting my seatbelt okay. on. I just read the Hebrew and I'm like, oh my gosh. <laughs> Says he does not say mashmecha but mishmecha, which literally means not what is your name, but who is your name. Oh my word, it still hurts. <laughs> yes, and so there's this very there's this intrigue, there's this mystique with this angel. Is your name? And then the angel responds. He uses this expression. He says. Who, uh, fel, feli, right? Yeah, feli. Who feli, and it says it is unknowable. Some say the word feli means concealed, right? We already talked about this idea of the, Messiah, the concealed Messiah. There's a name on him that he knows, but no one else knows. Yes, <laughs> exactly, and that's actually what he says. Oh! More, more or less, I mean, the wording similar says the angels purposely concealed his name so that he would not be given the credit instead of God. There's one interpretation. No uh, way. What? Yeah. And so others say it means separate or removed. The angel was not trying to hide his name. He was just explaining to Manoach that his name, that his was the sort of name that is impossible for human beings to know. Oh. It is. It is separate from this world. It goes on to say, the world of angels is so totally different from that of people. And it says that their names are beyond human understanding. So just like the, like the revelation drop you had. Like, Seriously. beyond human understanding, it's impossible to know. It's separate from this world. But we could see it. We just don't know it. 
Yeah. <laughs> okay, can I can I support tag? I love I love for you to support tag. Because if you look at the Hebrew on that same verse, verse um verse 17, when mm-hmm. he's talking about the name, this is Manoach. The phrase is me Shemeka Ki Yavo Devarka Ve Kivad Nucha. Now, if you look at that phrase, me Shemeka, who is your name? Mm-hmm. Ki Yavo for will come or for will return. Devarka, your word, Devar. And then you got Kivad Nucha, which I'm seeing Kavod in there. So I'm reading this right now is who is your name that is to return the word of glory? Oh, <laughs> yes. That's amazing. And we just talked about Yochanan 1 where it talks about the word becoming flesh. Right, Devar. Good night. Okay, so take a quick break, and we're going to be right back. All right, we back. All right, and we were just talking about this this angel and a little bit of these these secrets that are contained in these verses. And you right. just came up with the, the excellent, excellent job about uh, what is hint, what's hitting out in the Hebrew. So... Todah Rabbah for that. Mubakashah. And, and the angel, you know, we're, we're, we're puzzling to figure it out, but, and it's good, and there's all these insights we're drawing from that. But the angel actually answers the question for us. Ooh. He says, there's, there's another interpretation that says the angel wasn't concealing his name at all. Mm. It says... He was revealing it. So he was concealed yet revealed. Oh. Because so the, the name, you know, the way, way you have it, it's kind of like this idea of unknowable, separate. But then you have this idea of how he phrases it. It's like he's directly telling him what his name is. Wow. So this idea something's being concealed and yet revealed at the same time. There's these dual aspects. Mm-mm-mm. It says, they say that the name... Uh, there's this disagreement about angels' permanent positions, whether the name always changes according to uh, their mission or where they have permanent names. And on the position of ones who say they have permanent names, he says, this angel's name was Pali. And that was exactly what he told Manoach. Ooh. The verse should therefore be read, why do you ask about my name? It is Pali. Mm. It says, and I, I would just, I, this just came to me, but it, it reminds me of how Yeshua um, structured his, uh, his comment to the guy who was, who was asking. He says, why do you call me good? Only oh, God is good. Oh, wow. And so right, right here, a lot of people take it to be like, okay, well, Mashiach is in the vine because the guy asked him, why do you call me good? He says, only God is good, but you could take it as him answering his own statement. It says, why do you call me good? And then he answers him, only God is good. That's how you know I'm good. Right. 
and you know you you could take it as another you know, words. What's that? I was gonna I was gonna say in other words, the only way we can identify Mashiach is through Hashem. Yes. Yeah, and which is which is interesting because both, like, if you take Yeshua and you take um, Adonai, the Mispart Katan, the small gematria of their names, the, when you exclude all the zeros, is actually 17. Which you is, did not. Which same is good. You need to get some help. Yeah, <laughs> I know it. <laughs> wow. But continuing on, because uh, there's a lot with Pali, it says that the angel, according to this, the angel did not refuse to tell Menach his, his name. On the contrary, he told him right away. It says the root of this word has several meanings. The most common is wondrous, exceptional, beyond understanding. Uh, the first interp and we'll kind of come back to this next part second, but he talks about wonderful. <laughs> and rabbis, rabbis mentioned his uh, drosh before, Rabbi Griffin. Uh, about the five names of Mashiach and Isaiah. And one of those, the first one is wonderful, <laughs> right? Which is Pa'a. And this is actually a name of Mashiach. Pele, wonderful. Says, wonderful Pele, as one of Mashiach's names, comes from the well-known prophecy. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and his name will be called wonderful Pele. Isaiah 9.5. My goodness. Although some Jewish commentators have suggested that the names of this verse referred to King Hezekiah, others have pointed out that the prophet is speaking about Mashiach. So, for example, and he, Yaakov, said to him, Esau, now I have to bring forth King Mashiach, since it is written, for unto us a child is born. Devarim Rabbah 120. Mm-mm-mm. And... Uh, Goes on talking about um, in Sefer Mashmia Yeshua, Avramal says, and the sixth attribute of Mashiach is that he will perform supernatural signs and wonders, just as the prophet Yoel had prophesied. I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth. It is well known that the sixth attribute was not manifested in King Hezekiah or during the second temple period. So uh, what? Yeah, and. What's interesting is it talks about this angel that he did wonderful things, mm. right? He did wonderful acts, uh, like he went into the, the fire of the offering. And that's how they, that's one of the commentaries, how they knew that he was angel, the angel of Hashem, you <laughs> know, not a prophet, not just a regular prophet, wow. but a messenger. And continue on to this idea of Pele being uh, name of Mashiach, says Rabbi Eliezer of Worms said this about the wonderful Messiah. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. No man calls his son God. And therefore, it is the Hakadosh Baruch Hu who names the boy God and Mighty. All these names refer to an event called Wonderful Counselor, since you have done wonderful things, your counsels of old are faithfulness and truth. Isaiah 25.1 Behold, I will again do a marvelous, marvelous work among the people, a marvelous work and a wonder. Isaiah 29.14 that's from Sefer Hashem 158. Come on! Source! Yeah. And so this idea that, like, who is this angel? Like you said, it, it's Mimpet, and it talks about uh, Peli, 
being a name Mashiach, this this angel is like this Mashiach, this Messiah, uh, who's bearing this news. Man. And what's what's also interesting is the whole idea of the sacrifice. Oh, uh, what well, before we get into that, uh-huh. um, it talks about the word is is also used to mean to utter a vow. Ooh. And it says, uh, why do you ask my name? Isn't it obvious? It's another interpretation. It says, I came to put the vow of a Nazarite upon your child, so my name must be Putli. Mm. Talking about he was, he was like this angel of vows. Right. And uh, I haven't really elaborated on this concept too much, but I think it's interesting um, that Yeshua at the at their last Pesach Seder, he mentions that I will not partake of this cup again. Right. And he's he became a Nazarite. Yes. He's making, it seems like he's making this Nazarite vow. <laughs> and so here it is, this angel. It, one of the other interpretations is that he was this angel of vows. And that's why he says, why do you ask my name? It's obvious. It's Pali. It, it has this idea to utter a vow. Oh, my word. And so, you know, all these interpretations, you could look at it through the Greek mindset. Oh, is it this or is it this? Is it black or is it white? Is it right or is it wrong? Or you could look at it through the the Jewish framework and understand that there are 70 facets of Torah. And each each explanation is a different insight and paints the whole picture. It's facets of a diamond. It's beautiful. Yes. And this is this is why the the Basora. You know, you have the, the different authors and each one shows a different perspective. It doesn't hint at, um, it's not inconsistencies. <clears throat> it's not mixed up facts. Oh. It's showing the different facets. Of really? The Did you really the go there? I had to. Oh, my word. Good night. And hey, if you so, see people walking on the side of the road, it's not nice to just clip them. You know, you just <laughs> got to stay on the track, man. <laughs> That was beautiful, though. I love it. I love it. Yes, and it, it this part just it this half Torah portion just keeps paralyzing Mashiach, uh, paralyzing Mashiach. It goes on to talk about this offering that he gave. Uh oh. And where are we at here? <laughs> By the way, I love the end where it's talking about how. Uh, we're gonna die, you know. Manoak is like, we're gonna we're gonna certainly die. We've we've seen an angel, and yeah, and, uh, the wife is all like, if we if we were going to die, we would have been dead already. Like, <laughs> let's bring this back to reality. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, we're offering so nineteen awesome things. You said nineteen. Yeah, verse nineteen. Okay, lost my place here. Oh, there it is. Okay. Yeah, so Manoach took the, the goat kid and the meal offering and put them upon the rock for God. The angel did wonders. Talking about, you know, one of the aspects of Mashiach is that he would do wonders. Right. And that's why it can't just be referring to Hezekiah and Isaiah because he didn't do wonders. Ooh. Like Mashiach did. Ooh. It says if you recorded all the miracles and the wonders that he did, you couldn't record it in this book, right? Right. 
angel did wonders and Manoach and his wife watched. When the flame went up from the altar towards the sky, the angel of God went up in the flame of the altar. Manoach and his wife watched and they fell on their faces to the ground. And it, and then uh, coming on, you know, talking about it, who will surely die. Right. Right. It says, uh, it actually compares it to Yaakov. So Yaakov even fought with the angel and defeated him. Only then did he realize how close he had come to being destroyed. He said, I have seen the angel of God face to face, yet my soul has been saved. And some interpretations like the face of God. I've seen the face of God. Right. And it goes in talking about this idea of angels and prophets and their, their struggles and their, um, their interactions. And it talks about the similarities between Gideon and that of Manoch and his wife. It says, in both cases, the angel was sent to the people who lived among the outstanding righteous ones. Right, kind of like it mentions uh, when the angel came to uh, Yochanan's parents, right, and and because they were righteous, yes, uh, it came to Joseph and Miriam because they were righteous. So again, you see this uh, just making distinction. This is not a Christian book; it's a Jewish book, and it has the Jewish patterns. Ooh, right? and so again, the angel came to the righteous. You know, not people who weren't keeping Torah, but those who were living a Shomer life. Oh, my goodness. So, I just want to emphasize that. Um, they were commanded to perform certain acts of faith that would begin the process, that would begin the process of salvation. No, you didn't. No, yeah, you again, beginning the process of salvation. This process. Oh, my God. Will thereby be elevated to... Uh, one individual would thereby be elevated to a special status and become known throughout the nation as a holy man. And so here you have like Gideon being raised up, Shimshon being raised up, and uh, he's being elevated to special status, just like Yeshua. And then he becomes, even though he's trying to keep his identity concealed, just like uh, Manoach's wife was, eventually says he became known throughout the whole, the whole homeland as a holy man. Wow. And then highlighting the fact of, uh, it says, both Gideon and Manoah wanted to honor the messenger by inviting him to eat. And in both, in both cases, the meal was transformed into a sacrifice to God. What? Yes. <sighs> and so I just want to take, take a moment to elucidate this point and this commentary that Madame Loez is bringing out. It says, and repeating it, the meal was transformed into a sacrifice to God. Mm. And I mean, I don't know. I, I kind of think of the Corbin Pesach. Yes. Right? And there's that aspect up to it. But where I first went, the idea came to is um, when Mashiach talks about, I'm the bread of heaven. Yes. Take this. this is, uh, this is, you know, my flesh referring to like the bread. Right. And then what happens afterwards, he's, he, it's his like crucifixion yeah so he is, has this idea of here's he was this Ugh. this meal this meal offering right this food that was transformed oh my sacrifice just got just like their gideon's and manoch's offerings to this angel of pela the mashiach who is wonderful and so could it be that um He's returning the favor. Mashiach's returning the favor. Oh my goodness. It's like when Abraham, you know, washed, washed the feet of the angels and, and took care of them. 
and Mashiach ended up doing the same thing. And washing our feet. Oh my goodness. <laughs> and so this, this idea, he brought kindness and truth, right? He's returning this kindness and he's, he's making this, this complete cycle, right? What, what was started is becoming finishing. Oh. truth from all of the top. Wow. Well, we're going to take another break and then we're going to wrap this up because this is just uh, a lot right now. So yeah. take a say law for like 15 seconds and we'll be right back. Amen. And we are back with the most epic Hopsara get you some that I've ever been a part of. Brukashim. It's been a pleasure doing this draft with you. And uh, so let's let's go in it because we we've uh, I want to cover like a, a few more things. And All right. so on the name of Simpson, and you you highlighted this earlier, but I'd like for us to elucidate this idea because I think it's a key connection between uh, the birth of Simpson and the birth of Mashiach. This this parallel. Like one thing that he would have been talking about, find me in the half court, find, find me in the prophets. Right. Bring it on. All right. So it says the uh, comment on the last verses, uh, 13, 24, and 25, says the name Shimshon derived from Shemesh, which means to serve. Right. And so. Whoa. Oh, Hanukkah candle. Really? Oh, oh, I didn't even think. Oh, that's amazing. Oh gosh. The Shamash can the Shamash candle. The Shamash candle. So here it is. Um so the servant and he came as a suffering servant, Mikif and Yosef. Oh um, and that's what he encouraged his disciples when he said the first will be last and the last will be first. Oh my um, gosh. Light yeah. it up, man. The least among you is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So he elucidated this idea of being a servant. And this was like it says. Shimshon was the beginning of redemption. And so this is how we're supposed to start a redemption. And so this okay. idea of of humility. Yes. We, just, we just talked about this in Bamdibar, right? We receive the Torah by going through a desert. A desert's laid low. It, it's flat. It's like this idea of being able to just be humble yeah. before you come and receive the Torah of a shin. That's right. right? And yeah. so carry on. Man. What's that? beginning of redemption when you receive torah from being humble i mean starting your own personal redemption right there mm-hmm. and maybe that's why he yeshua told the rich man to go and sell all your goods oh wow because he wanted to experience true humility he, he, knew, a- he knew he had a problem with people and he knew he had a problem a lot of people say okay well he qualified the commandments he would keep you know, but Yeshua told him the commandments he would keep because he saw into his heart. He saw into his thoughts like only Hashem can do. And he knew by his question, he says, which commandments? By indicating when he said which commandments, it insinuated that he had a heart problem. That the Torah wasn't really in his heart. And so Yeshua wasn't saying those commandments were the only commandments you have to keep. He was saying that those commandments were for that specific person mm. because that specific person had a problem with giving to people. And that's proved further in the following verses where Yeshua says, give all you have to the poor. And he refuses. He goes away sad. Why? Because the, the, he, turned, he turns away from the light 
he turns away from the light. Like the people when Moshe came down with a light ringing from his face. Wow. Because the Torah was not inside of him. Man. Living eternal life were not inside of him. So he turned away. And well, there's that. So that brings us to our next part about the whole light and turn away from the light. And we should never do that. Right. Don't do that. Um, <laughs> that's that should never happen Amen. to any of us or any of our, or anyone listening. Amen. Uh, and, but another name, it says it's Shemesh, which refers to the sun. Right. Name uh, of Messiah. Is, really? And so, um, Shimshon, Commenting who's dedicated to be a servant of God, but some say this also refers to Shemesh, the sun. It says he was handsome and radiant like the sun, and this makes me immediately think to Yosef. Yep. Right, and again, it's highly the fact it just these connect the dots pieces. Right, Yosef, Meshach, and Yosef came first. It was the beginning of salvation. Right. Right. This idea of of he was just like extremely putting all these humbling situations where he was servant and persecuted and brought down low oh, to be a light. Goodness gracious. So, so <laughs> Shimshon has this connection to Yosef in that he was, he was handsome like Yosef. He was attractive like Yosef. Wow. And, but others say, and this is a even uh, more key point here for connections that we're doing, says others say this is an allusion to God himself. No, you didn't. Yes, as it says, the Lord God is a sun and a shield. Oh, just as God protects the whole world, Shimshon would protect his people. Oh, my word. It goes and talk about, well, this seems strange, you know, uh, why? I'm kind of paraphrasing here, but uh, well, the sun derives its strength from God. So shouldn't we compare the sun to God? Instead, we compare God to the sun. So the reason is that God is too much beyond us for us to be able to appreciate his greatness. <laughs> and this is really, I don't, I don't want to say, I don't mean to imply that Hashem has a problem by any means, but he gave us free will. And we talked about this last Porsche. Yeah. That the dark see the light. Darkness. Right? So he could give us free will so we could have the choice to love him. Right. So it wouldn't be by rope. It would be really inside of us. It would be, you know, it, it's not this robotic, robotic love. It's, it's a real engagement. It's a real betrothal relationship. That's right. And, and so um, he says so the reason that God is too much beyond. So the, the, the issue now with that is that he has to find a way to connect with us. Find a way to manifest his, how does the infinite God find a way to manifest his presence in a finite manner so that we would understand him? He manifests in a physical form. That's how he does it. Exactly. Come exactly. On. Whether it be Torah, you know, the Sephiroth Torah, whether it be Yeshua, Mashiach, yes. uh, and anything of that nature. Yes. And so he it answers this, this question of says, God is, God is too much for us to be able to appreciate his greatness. We look at the sun and see how great it is, and then try to imagine how much infinitely greater is God. Amen. In the same way, Shimshon's feats of strength demonstrated to his generation that God is greater than all idols. Ooh. And so it's, it says, we look at the sun and see how great it is, and then try to imagine how much infinitely greater is God. And so what does Yeshua say? It says, if you see me, you've seen the Father. Oh, 
Come right? on, he says, I, I, the only path to the Father is, is through me. Like I'm the way and the truth and the light. That's right. And of course, I'm, I'm, I'm paraphrasing a little bit here, but yeah. it's this idea like Shimshon, that's where his root comes from. It's allusion to God himself. Right. But it's like this manifested finite uh, like presence of a shim so that we would be able to connect with him so that we would be able to like embrace him, be in relationship with him, to understand him. Even, even in, in just a, such a small part, because he's infinitely greater than we could comprehend, but he needs a way to connect with us. That's it. And we need a way to connect with him. That's right. That's the, that's the whole concept of Anoki. I mean, we're talking Shemot 20, verse 2, the beginning of the Torah being spoke into creation. is Anoki. Yes. I wrote myself down and gave it to you. I contracted my, yes. my entire being and gave you my essence. Oh, man. And as the Balsham Toes points, we, we, made, we uh, talked about this in a... Uh, I think the first half Torah discussion we did that this is the Torah man. That's right. That's it. After he comments on that, that verse about Anaki being an acronym. He says, this is a Torah man. And so there's a precedent, there's a precedent in Jewish literature for the Torah being manifest. It's not something made up. That's not a Christian idea. Shalom. That's right. Um, Literally man fest. Man is fest. <laughs> yes man man oh i see what you did there man i fest <laughs> yeah <laughs> man i confess okay <laughs> and so I, I also read something in here that man loves comments on uh shimshon and it reminded me on something that yeshua says says if you have the, the faith the size of mustard seed you'll be able to move mountains yes right and a little maybe maybe a perspective on one aspect of what he was saying comes from this. It says in verse 25, then the spirit of God began to beat within him in Machane Dan between, oh, excuse me, her, uh, Machane, yeah, Dan between uh, Zara and Eshtaol. And so Mamlo's comments uh, talks about the spirit of God beating, like talk about the ringing, it's like the ringing of the bell. Says right. some say the word between Zorach and Estaol means that he uprooted the mountains of Zorach and Estaol and crushed them against one another. Ooh, this might so you have this idea of lifting a mountain, kind of like you know Hashem at Sinai, right? Like a canopy, right? There's another perspective. Says this might be interpreted allegorically to mean that he was able to argue with the greatest men of those who. Of these two cities and defeat them all. Just like Yeshua, who he was constantly entrapped. He was constantly tested. But he was able to argue with the greatest of these sages of the time and defeat them all. And so he says, if you have the size, the faith, the size of a mustard seed, you'll be able to move mountains. Just like Shimshon. You'll be able to debate anybody and you can win. Why? Because you have have a little bit of faith. You have a little bit of faith invested in me. Uh, man. Well, real and, quick, uh, before I let you uh, just go to town here, um, okay. I was looking up the Gematria for Anoki, and the Gematria for Anoki is 81, which is the Gematria of Kisei, which is 
throne. So when Hashem says Anoki, he says, I gave you the throne. Now grab a hold of it. Oh. I gave you the throne. Now grab a hold of it. Yes. Just like the sapphire tablets were graved out of the throne. That's right. And so we're attaching ourselves to the sapphire tablets. And it's mentioned elsewhere that under the throne is the domain of Mimtet. That's right. Like another man, it's manifestation of a shim, right? That's right. Get Man. your time. <laughs> That's cool. That's good. All right. Um, so let's let's talk about Yaakov's prophecy. All right. I link that into Mashiach and I'm, I'm going to try to get through this real quick, but we might have to do just one last part, if that's okay with you. That's totally fine with me. All right, let's finish up this with what time we have remaining. All right. So, it says, Shimshun, uh, it says the, the name Shimshun contains various allusions, one of which is to God's name. And the Talmud, so to 10a, explains that just as the Almighty protects the entire world, Shimshun protects the Jews from his generation. So that's Ooh. what we read um, so this idea that he, he's connected with the name of God. And then also in nine B of, of the same of Sota says, teaches that God's spirit resting on Shimshon was the fulfillment of Yaakov's prophecy regarding the tribe of Dan as part of his blessing to his children before his death. Yaakov said, Yehi dan nachash ale." Dan will be a serpent on the highway, a reference to the mighty Shimshon. We read earlier that he thought he was a Shiach, and then he he died, and he's like, okay, well, maybe that's not the guy. Right. Because there's a a disregard in all literature, for whatever reason, um, of Mashiach and Yosef, and that the process of salvation. Wow. And so if you read on in in the story of Samson, you have this idea of, of Shamshan, Shamshan laying down his life, right? It says he, he's, he was with Delilah and she trapped him and then he was taken into the Philistines and kind of engulfed and surrounded and put in chains, put on the pillars or the columns. And he prayed, it says he prayed to the Almighty to restore his strength and he pushed against those pillars and caused the entire building to collapse killing himself together with a thousand of Philistine leaders and many more spectators. After that, the Jewish people had a reprieve from the oppression of the Philistines. Wow. So taking it back to like, he's compared to this fulfillment of Yaakov's prophecy of Dan, which is compared to a, a Nahash, right? This, <laughs> this snake. Yeah. And as you, as you may know, uh, that Nahash has the same gamacha of Mashiach. Come on. So there's there's a great illusion here, and so there's this connection, right? Um, and Yeshua also mentions himself in comparison when he's talking to Nicodemus, um, where he says, uh, "Just as like essentially the serpent was lifted up, so the Son of Man must be lifted up." That's it, Yochanan three. <laughs> he compares himself to Nachash. Yeah, Nachash is seen in a positive light, as it says in Genesis three fifteen. Says, "You will crush his head and." He will bruise. He will bruise your heel, and you'll crush his head. <laughs> right. And, but so there's this idea of of who's who's doing the crushing, who's crushing who. 
And Shem Shalom dies by crushing. Yes, he dies by crushing. And so he's engulfed. He's surrounded by all these Philistines, right? Wow. And he's the, he's the Nechash, right? He's from the tribe of Dan, just like Mashiach is a Nechash, right. right? And so what he does, he's engulfed in all these Philistines. And he takes the columns and he just pulls them down. He prays for his strength to return, that he'll be forgiven. He prays for his strength to return. And the whole building collapses on him. He lays his life down so that the Jewish people had a reprieve from the oppression of the Philistines. Wow. And there's just so much to that. And just comparing it to Yeshua and his sacrifice, he says, no man lays down, no man takes my life. I lay it down on my own accord, just like Shimshon. That's right. The Jews didn't kill him. The Romans didn't kill him. He allowed his life to be taken as a sacrifice. So... Exactly. All right. Well, we'll return after these messages. All right. Let's bring it home. All right. Let's do it. So we mentioned uh, this idea. We left, we left off about Shimshon laying down his life, just like Yeshua laid in his life, right? That's and right. Shimshon was engulfed. He was literally surrounded by the Philistines. And Correct. I would say this idea parallels to uh, what is written in the letters because mm -hmm. Shaul was a kosher Shomer Jew. He encouraged people to convert to Judaism. Amen. You know, contrary to popular belief. Right. And one of the things he says is Yeshua became sin. He knew, knew not sin became sin so that we would become the righteousness of God. You just hit him with the Corinthians, really? Yeah, it had to. <laughs> but it, it's it's a concept that needs to be clarified a concept that needs to be redeemed right just like Manoach's offering it looked like it was against Torah but it was it was decreed fitting for that time not everything that has the appearance of evil is evil that's right but, you know and that's the idea sometimes goodness is concealed and so the idea is I'm, I'm trying to parallel the idea of that Shimshon cloaked himself with Philistines is like Yeshua cloaked himself with sin. With oh, snap. And that was, this is the whole thing of him being different from the Philistines. Yes. Uh, but it, it's kind of like this, this paradox, right? right? Because you have to be different, but then you're almost identical because you're so engulfed in it. Wow. Right? Like and the poor goats. Yes, like the Yom Kippur goats. <laughs> and there, there's this idea of the Sadiq, the, the one who descends, uh, the righteous one who, the idea that he descends and he, it's like he takes on the sins of the people. This is coming from like early Hasidic thought that he takes on the sins of the people, not because he is sinful, but because he's so attached to the people that he sees the sins as his own fault. Ooh. He sees the, their sins as his sins. And this is kind of, I believe, one of the ways, uh, one of the lenses to really look at Mashiach's sacrifice. Right. And of him becoming sin. It's not that he was a sinner, Hasbeth Shalom. Right. It's that he was, he was the Sadiq and he descended and he was so attached to us that he saw our sins and he took upon himself. He, he said, just like Moshe. Right. Moshe saw like the sins of the people as his fault in a lot of cases, which is why he asked for the punishment to fall upon him and his Nebi erased. Man. But this is how 
I believe the um, the snake's head is crushed, right? Right. It's the snake's head, the nechash sin is crushed because what uh, what instrument is used to destroy Hashem also used to heal. So the nechash who planted the 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 seed, the the seed of evil, um, who bit our heel, that's the head that's being crushed. But it's Yeshua laying his life down for us because he's attached. He becomes so attached to our sins because he's so attached to us. He takes upon himself and he lays down his life as that offering to redeem us so that there would be a reprieve from the oppression of the Philistines. Amen. Wow. (laughs) And, you know, I was just re-looking at 2 Corinthians 5.19. And I love it. He says that Hashem was reconciling the world to himself. And it says not counting the people's sins against them. You know, like with him taking on our sins, he removes it from its place of being accounted to us, just like the Yom Kippur goats. You know, the sins of the community are taken and put on that goat that's sent off to die. And there's no longer any sin in the, in the camp because it's been taken away. So, I mean, it's just so beautiful. Just that whole analogy that you brought down. And so this, this whole, that's, that's an excellent point. And it's just like, like this whole half tour deals with like the, the, the birth, parallels the birth of Mashiach, it parallels the process of redemption of Mashiach, and it parallels like this, like if you read later on in, in Judges, it parallels um, the sacrifice that was to take place. Mm. And I, I'd like to just kind of take a take a practical note, kind of how we, like, kind of like towards the end last time, we ended on a practical note, so I think that'll be helpful for anyone listening. I think uh, Something to kind of take with you. I think it's a great idea. With that. That's great. All right. Book show. And so the idea that we're supposed to walk as Mashiach walked. Yep. And uh, in this portion we mentioned earlier about this is the birth of, of Shimshon and we've heard to the birth of Yeshua. And there's this underlying thing that's going in the background that's not really highlighted because of these Mashiach figures who just like, like they're just center stage. But in the background, there are these parents, these parents who are, are very adamant about how they raise their children yeah. and, and making them grow up in poor ideals. And so just something practical from art school commentary that we could take with us. Um, it says, commenting on verse three through five, when they're told they will, they um, are barren, but they'll conceive a son. Right. It says there's an ethical lesson in the angel's command, if parents wish to have an exalted child, they must begin long before the child is born by perfecting their own conduct. Mm. And so it's this idea that, you know, Mashiach came about through righteous individuals. And if we're to, like, rear up children um, who are walking after Mashiach, walking after his ways, and having the Torah, like, engraved in their heart, then... I think it's important us to, like before, even before, to really work on our character, work on our adult, um, read Musar like 15 minutes a day at least, 
and, and constantly be aware of, of our actions, our, our thoughts, and everything we do so we can refine ourselves. And there's plenty of Musar works out there, Mishlat Yeshirim, and uh, it's, been told, it's been said by um, many commentators that even the, the book of Devarim, which Mashiach quotes from excessively, right. is like the first work of Musar. Ooh. And, so, and it even starts with a whole rebuke from Moshe and the path that we should walk in. And so just something to take about if, if we want to uh, bring about children who, who walk like a Mashiach, then even, even, before, even before the conception, we need to be constantly working on our dote. And in doing this, we will help unify Kol uh, Israel and each other and, and brotherly, brotherly bonds and uh, bring about even more righteous generation. Amen. Well, Burkashem, that is such a beautiful crown to this teaching tonight. So I bless you and I really appreciate you taking the time to really share these insights. And uh, it's been a great flight trip with you. I'm glad that both of our characters have flight suits. Oh, yes. I definitely needed it uh, a lot more than I thought. And I thought we were going to take it nice and easy, but uh, no, which is always great with me. So, <laughs> yeah. Burkashem. Burkashem. Well, it's it's been, a, been a pleasure to be on. And I, I always enjoy our conversations. And, you know, hope, hopefully our, 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 the listeners to this will be as blessed as uh, I was from this. this oh, man. Can you heat out zone? So I will close us in the closing blessing. Now that I know how to say that one. And here we go. Blessed are you, Adonai, our God, King of the universe, the rock of all eternities, righteous in all generations, the trustworthy God who says and does, who speaks and fulfills, all of whose words are true and righteous. Trustworthy are you, Adonai, our God, and trustworthy are your words. Not one of your words is turned back to its origin, unfulfilled, for you are God our trustworthy and compassionate King. Blessed are you, Adonai, the God who is trustworthy in all your words. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, Lala Tov to all the listeners. Shavua Tov. May you have a blessed Shabbat. And we will see you next time with the help of Hashem on the Haftarah. Get you some. Amen. All right. Shalom. Shalom.